This is Family Law Matters, a podcast series that introduces you to mental health and legal professionals in the area of family law. We'll be talking to experts who guide moms, dads, and children along transitions of separation and divorce. My name is Janine Crofton, the principal at Resolveology, Inc. I'm a family law mediator in Alberta and a psychologist in Alberta and Ontario. My hope is to provide information and a bit of optimism to listeners who are in the midst of restructuring their families. Before we begin, just a quick reminder that information heard on this podcast is not to be construed as psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a professional concerning your specific circumstances. On this third episode, we are interviewing a family lawyer, Kathleen Wells. Kathleen is the principal at Wells Family Law and offers a legal representation to people experiencing separation and divorce. She also offers other services such as cohabitation agreements. Please see a complete bio for Kathleen on my website at resolveology.com. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you for having me, Janine. So we're so thrilled to have you talking about the role of family lawyers in the family law process. But I know that whenever lawyers are giving speeches or providing information, there's a little bit of a disclaimer. So perhaps we should get the legalese over with as we start. And you could tell us a little bit about what you'd like to tell us in that regard. Sure. Thank you, Janine. So uh, I guess at a start, this isn't meant to be uh, legal advice in any uh, way. Um, it's just meant to be an informative session, talking to people about some options and what's available and, and what things are uh, out there related to family law that might be of assistance to them. If they need uh, legal assistance, they can always contact Lawyer Referral Service offered through the Law Society, or they're always welcome to give myself or any of a number of great colleagues out there a call. Great. Thanks for that. So Kathleen, you and I have known each other for a little bit of time, but I don't think I've ever asked you how it is you decided to specialize in family law. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your origin story? Yeah, I, I guess it's, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. I I went to law school thinking I was going to be the next uh, great criminal lawyer, uh, the next Eddie Greenspan. And then after doing criminal law, I decided that that's perhaps not where my forte lied. And I was lucky enough to work at a firm who allowed me the opportunity to try different areas of law. And I was introduced to family law fairly early on in my career and just found a niche for it. I really liked the people I was helping. I liked to hear their stories and I really feel that I can help influence uh, a change in their life or uh, hopefully a positive change in their life. And so that's quite rewarding. I've been doing it now exclusively for um, 20 years and uh, I really enjoy it. Well, and you have uh, started your own firm, is that right? I did, yes. I started my own firm in 2017 and I suppose it was just because I have a I mean, I don't think my philosophy is that different to a lot of other lawyers, but I was kind of tired of the big law firm grind and wanted to have the freedom to kind of do some of my own things and run my practice the way I wanted to. It's very interesting because I think every lawyer brings so much of them personally to, you know, the work that they do. I think we all do. And so I always describe you as being lovely whenever I um, tell people about your services. Um, 
So I think what's next for me is I'm interested to know what the role is of a family law lawyer. I think so many times we see media, we talk to friends, and we think we have you know an exact idea about what lawyers do. But in this instance, when somebody reaches out to hire a family law lawyer, can you tell us a bit about your role? For sure. So, I mean, it all starts with learning about the individual client and finding out what their particular needs are. A lot of people think that family law just deals with divorce, but we deal with a whole gamut of issues uh, ranging from adoptions to common law situations to separations of common law to uh, married uh, divorces and or planning for cohabitation agreements before either living together or getting married. So there's more to it than just uh, helping people decide what to do or how to devolve the end of their relationship. So what I try to do, and I think most family law lawyers do, is we try to listen to what the needs and issues are of our clients and then try to help them find a path forward. So my role as a lawyer is to try and listen to the client's issues and find out what the best path forward is for them. And sometimes that involves a legal process, and sometimes that involves a different process, meaning an alternative to litigation. So when you think about a just right situation where somebody hires a family lawyer, how does that often play out when it goes well? Well, um, I always hope that when I meet uh, a person and I, I talk with them about their issues, that they have a path forward, or they've at least thought about what they want um, for their family. And so that could mean um, prior to entering into a relationship, whether that be common law or, or marriage, or how they want to devolve their relationship at, at the end. And I hope that they come with um, some, uh, hopefully some respect for the other person uh, and some uh, financial information and a path forward for if they have children, what they want for their children and really what they want for their, their life to look like um, if it's at the end of a relationship. And for those uh, folks who need to go into court, can you tell us a little bit of the difference because there's a number of different levels of court and can you tell us the difference between those? Sure. So um, uh, there's the provincial court of Alberta, which I think we all like to call the workhorse of the court system because it sees lots of families and it, it tries really hard to help uh, to a large extent, sort of unrepresented persons or persons who were never uh, married. So uh, the legislation that deals with the provincial court um, doesn't deal with federal matters, which is divorce. Uh, so the Court of Queen's Bench, uh, that court deals with matters that are relating to any kind of property and as well as any kind of uh, divorce matter. There's different levels of jurisdiction. So the provincial court is governed by uh, the Provincial Court Act, and the uh, Court of Queen's Bench is governed by the federal court. And they're all sort of under the, I guess, the umbrella of the uh, rules of court. But typically, uh, the provincial court uh, deals with more sort of um, sometimes immediate or urgent needs relating to families. Uh, the provincial court does a lot of child welfare. Uh, they do a lot of emergency protection orders, uh, those types of things in the first instance. And then if the file proceeds to a divorce or if it uh, proceeds to a property issue, then it is uh, generally moved to the Court of Queen's Bench. Or in the case of a divorce, it just starts in the Court of Queen's Bench. And so if somebody is represented by a lawyer, where would they most often find themselves? In the provincial or the Queen's Bench? 
I suppose that depends on the lawyer. Um, certainly nothing against the provincial court. Uh, I, I mean, they, they do an amazing job. I, I think my comfort level is and always has been with the Court of Queen's Bench. And I suppose that's primarily because most of the matters I deal with um, are um, dealing with uh, divorce and or property division. And so I think most people that are looking to um, end a marriage, uh, they have to start there by um, circumstance. So that's particularly where I'm most comfortable. So where do most matters end up? Uh, it depends on the application or the issue which the parties are having. Some matters, if they're dealing with uh, provincial legislation, such as child services or any of those matters, typically start in the provincial court. Any matters that are dealing with divorce or with property automatically get started at the Court of Queen's Bench. The provincial court does not have the uh, jurisdiction to deal with property or divorce in Alberta. So that issues of child support, parenting time, guardianship, those are the types of things that somebody would be able to address in both levels of court? Yeah, they sure can. I think when you're looking at a file, you have to look at sort of what the whole package is. Uh, sometimes people go off to court and they file in one court and realize they should have been in the other court. Um, and so I think it's when you're when you're wanting to look at a process, it's important to see what are actually the issues that um, you need addressed. And that's why it's always good to talk to a lawyer initially because the lawyer can help you sort through those issues. If there's no property and no divorce action that has to be commenced, then uh, the provincial court can be a very um, uh, efficient way to get your matter dealt with. Um, and they have lots of services also offered through the provincial court as well. Kathleen, the Divorce Act has changed in 2021. Can you tell us when it changed and what are some of the big shifts that have been made with the new legislation and how it might actually play out in Alberta? Yeah, so I think a couple of things are that the um, Divorce Act changed March 1st this year. The changes came into effect and there's a real focus on uh, protection of family and protection of the children's best interests. So there's been a lot of consideration given to uh, domestic violence and uh, the way those matters have to be addressed uh, right from the get-go, right from the time you meet with a client to uh, how you proceed throughout the court. You have to address those matters um, head-on to see if there's any issues of domestic violence or any need or concern for safety for the clients that are um, in the process. And then there's also uh, a focus on children and really a focus on what's in the best interest of the children. Uh, the Divorce Act has now gone away from the traditional usage of the terms custody, and now they're using the terms parenting and parenting time, which I think is a lot more, it's a lot kinder and a gentler way to start a process. So Kathleen, I think what I'm, um, I think what our listeners might really benefit from is some of your years of experience. You've been working with families walking through this process for a long time. And what advice would you give to a family who's either initiating this process or is sort of finding they're struggling through it? 
Well, I mean, the first thing that I always ask clients is, do they have any kind of support for themselves? And when I say support, I mean not only just familial and friendship support, but I, I typically mean a psychologist and um, other types of support. A lot of times when people are going through this process, um, you know, if they're asking friends and family or for support uh, or for guidance, they'll, they'll often hear um, what they want to hear or the uh, well-meaning uh, friend or family member will tell them what they think they want to hear. And sometimes they don't get actually what they what they should be hearing. And I always tell uh, clients to try and check their emotion as much as they can. I appreciate that this is a very emotional process or can be a very emotional process, but I try to remind families that initially they were very much in love with the other person and they made a choice to have children. And the person that they're divorcing is generally not that much different than the person they married or cohabitated with it's just that maybe they've grown apart over time and particularly in a file that involves children um, I try to remind families that you know this parent the other parent uh, is going to be in your life for potentially forever there's going to be all kinds of wonderful celebrations in that child's life and disappointments and you have regardless of the fact that you're no longer uh, uh, in a relationship, you have to still be there for the child. So I think a lot of family law problems could be avoided if, if they um, try to remain respectful of the other parent. Um, and I know that's hard, but um, lawyers are, are here to help guide the legal process and we're not experts in the emotional process. And that's why I feel that uh, referring them off to a psychologist like yourself is one of the best choices families can make. And it's also a really great way for families to keep their costs down because a lot of clients call me and uh, want to vent about their ex-partner. And um, although I can empathize with them, I, I don't really have the tools uh, necessary to give them the guidance that they need. And so um, I can sort of refer them to other experts in that field and um, the other thing that like Lena is talking about the cost of, of all of this process is I find the files that are the most costly are the ones where people have the most personal issues and you know uh, law can't help those personal issues that's not what the system is is designed for and so um, finding clients an alternative to uh, get some resolve to those personal issues is, is key in any file that I take on. I mean, it's really good to hear Kathleen as a psychologist over the past, um, like I've been mediating for 25 years and I've been a psychologist for over 10. And so often, you know, there's either feelings of really distinct anger and really and there's a, a lot of intensity in people's emotions around that time. And underneath the anger is often sadness and I think that you know as a culture we're sort of okay with expressing anger on a certain level but when you really peek underneath that there's almost always a sense of sadness and so talking with a psychologist and really finding a place to express that sadness or sometimes there's been some trauma traumatic experiences within the marriage or the relationship and again, I agree with you. I think that there's value in sort of being able to speak to that and have somebody else really hear them, an expert who knows what to do with 
some of those big and raw emotions. And so then, you know, sometimes when I've seen people, it's been one or two or three sessions, and then they go back to their lawyer, and they're just they're just a little bit calmer, a little bit more able to look at um, the issues with clarity. And, uh, you know, as a mediator, we really try and redirect what is uh, a lot of good intention, right? People really want the best for their children. They want the best long term. And if we can redirect people in the, you know, into sort of looking at what is the issue and how can some of that passion that you're experiencing really help you get what is best for you and your kids, then that I think is what lands best when they come to see a lawyer. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. I think in a perfect world, if I had uh, any kind of real power, <laughs> I would require any person going through a divorce to have some kind of uh, counseling available for them. I think that, you know, there are some processes that the court does uh, require parents with uh, children under the age of 16 to participate in. But I really think that the loss of a spouse or a partner is a very traumatic point in somebody's life and I equate it often to a death but worse than a death because um, they still with a death it's so final with a divorce or a separation or end of relationship that uh, other person is still out there and so really having that support to work through those emotions and 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 getting to put the person in the best position they can be uh, considering the circumstances um, and it certainly would save a lot of our courts time because you often see families in court with very complex decisions or asking the court to make very complex decisions on parenting issues. And I, I think it's really so sad because you have uh, two parents that loved enough each other enough to uh, uh, have a child. And then uh, they're asking somebody who they don't know, who has no true involvement in their family or knows what's best for their family or their child, being asked to make a decision. And, and I think... That's really uh, sad for a lot of families. I think what I'm seeing, though, in family law is an amazing shift towards alternative dispute resolution and uh, trying to get matters out of court and working in sort of a collaborative system where we can work in conjunction with psychologists and mediators or arbitrators or finding families the resources they need to help find uh, solutions to these problems. And I, I think when I look back on my practice, the files that are the ones that endure, are the ones where the parties had a participation in the process. And I mean, they actually got to speak and have a chance to help their family. The files that are continually uh, coming back across my door are the ones where they went to court. And um, when you go to court, nobody's ever happy with the outcome. Nobody wins, in my opinion. It's always a lose-lose situation, largely. Uh, it's very costly, it's time-consuming, it's emotionally draining, and it pits one person against the other. So how, how could that process ever be about supporting families? It's not designed to support families. It's designed to um, find a solution to a very difficult problem. <laughs> Kathleen, it just occurs to me as we're talking that um, often, I mean, when I first started uh, in this industry, there weren't a lot of online sort of ways of communicating and so as we've you know got all these different options face facebook and instagram and all of these things um has that complicated the family law space has it made it more difficult to 
tell, tell me about what your experiences and any kind of thoughts you have about that. Yeah, well, I, I must admit, I'm a bit of a Luddite. <laughs> I'm on the computer all day, so I don't like to spend a lot of time on the computer myself. But I can say that um, I see uh, uh, files are really complicated by um, social media. And I think we live in this generation where everybody wants something so instantaneously. So, you know, people often uh, send emails and or text messages and they expect somebody to respond right away. And when you don't get a response right away, I feel it creates this sort of anger. Uh, you know, somebody is waiting there, uh, demanding that something be replied to or somebody posts something unfortunate on uh, a social media uh, site like uh, Facebook or Instagram or something and it causes all kinds of hurt and confusion and I always tell parents uh, you know check yourself before you start putting things out on uh, Facebook and, and other uh, media venues make sure that you you know that the world can see those even if you're locked down there's always somebody who you forgot to disconnect who's taken sides in your divorce matter and can always pull up information that perhaps wasn't your best shining moment in life. Uh, the other thing is when parents are communicating on uh, text messages, it's really hard. I, I find it a lot. Of, I'll, I'll get an email from somebody and it's really hard to understand the tone. Um, sometimes when I read messages, I think, gosh, that was cheeky. And I don't know that that's what the person um, intended. I think as a society, I think personally, we're just losing the ability to communicate. Uh, we we don't often pick up the phone and, and just ask somebody, you know, hey, is that what you really meant? Um, or is there something I can do to facilitate this problem? Rather than sending back these text messages back and forth. Um, and uh, sometimes often uh, at very emotive times in, in their uh, breakdown of the relationship. So yeah, I would say that it, it has impacted um, the divorce process. And I, I think there's probably some really great things. There's great technological advances that people can communicate with, like what we're doing now. I think for parents that have to travel for work or uh, have to live in different areas from their children, it's wonderful that they can see their children and communicate with them more frequently than they would have before. I think that uh, it's great that you can keep in touch with your children at school and send them a text message and things. Um, I just really caution parents about using technology for improper purposes and using it for hopefully good instead of bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking about how technology and texting and those kinds of things have improved life. Like certainly if somebody's going to be 10 minutes late to pick or drop off the child, right, just having the convenience of texting pulling over to the side of the road and texting saying, I'm on my way. Those kinds of um, communications can be really helpful in terms of keeping parents feeling respected in terms of time and all of those kinds of things. Um, so I think there's, it's kind of in both sides of it. There's been some really um, good things that have happened since people have access to technology. And then, you know, just being able to set some boundaries for their partner when they feel like, okay, well, I don't have to respond to that in this moment. I can go away and maybe think through how I want to respond. But it all gets captured, right? I think that's the other piece of it is that once it's down there on, you know, in text, sometimes those pictures are taken and then it becomes used as sort of in the battle. And so that's the downside, I think, that I've seen. Yeah, I think, I mean, it always leaves a footprint. Even if you think it's gone, it's generally there somewhere. Um, I think, you know, when I have 
couples that are um, in a conflict, one of the things I like to encourage them to do is, uh, just like you said, uh, wait uh, and think about, don't instantaneously respond to something. Take a minute, uh, take a day, take two days, uh, think about what it is the person is actually asking. And respond only to what you need to respond to. And don't get into that uh, sort of, uh, you know, negative dialogue. I think you can sort of retrain people um, in how you respond. And so I think if you uh, respond in kind and you um, take time to have a thoughtful reply, uh, people will be more inclined to respond uh, favorably as well. The other thing I try to ask parents to do particularly is, you know, the other parent, although you may not uh, be a big fan of theirs at the particular point in time of your separation, uh, I always try to ask them when they pick up or drop off the child, uh, make sure that maybe once or twice a month, they're just uh, saying something positive, like, you know, thanks for having, you know, Johnny ready, and thanks for having his backpack ready, and, you know, or thanks for helping him with his homework. You know, just saying thank you, a simple, kind word to somebody can really change the dynamic in a, a relationship. And over time, I think parents, if, if they try to live by that, will find that their relationship and their parenting time will really improve. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes it's these small things that over time make such a big difference. Because, you know, we all know that at the beginning of the separation, it's not, doesn't have to stay difficult oftentimes after a little bit of time and some experience and some getting on the other side of it, things calm down and it's just a little bit easier. So sometimes those small things make quite a difference. And I know we sound like we've been talking about all these negativities and a lot of families, I just want to mention that most families are, are pretty well-adjusted, well-intentioned and well-meaning people. And they aren't, uh, it's only a very small percentage of my files that I see in my practice that are sort of high conflict. Most uh, families that are separating uh, come to me with sort of some general ideas on what they would like to see for their family. And it's my job to help try and facilitate those. Um, one of the things I like to do is, as well-intentioned as anybody is when they're going through this process, is there's going to be some bumps along the way, whether it's uh, one month, one year, or 10 years down the road. There's always going to be something that happens. And so I try to really talk with my clients about the what-ifs and saying, well, how would you feel about a new person coming into the relationship? Uh, what do we need to address in this uh, uh, agreement between you and the other person? Or do we need to just uh, say we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we can certainly uh, create in your agreement a process for which you're going to be guided in the future. And um, I think most family law lawyers would agree that process should be guided away from the courts as much as practical and give parents or have them commit contractually to a process that's going to a, allow them to participate and uh, give them a voice in the process. So most agreements that you'll see from family law lawyers have a built-in resolution mechanism. So they typically start with a mediation clause um, and or a parenting coordination clause where they're working with somebody as an expert on parenting issues um, or they're dealing with a mediation arbitration clause, just ways to keep families out of court and to get their issues resolved uh, timely and hopefully cost effectively. Um, part of the reason uh, I like to recommend um, medical professionals like yourself is 
a lot of families have um, extended health care benefits. And so uh, a lot of their problems can be resolved through the luxury of those benefits through their extended health care plan. Lawyers charge an enormous amount of, of money and uh, will deserve, but <laughs> we charge a lot of money. And I do think it's important that, you know, lawyers are mindful of their time and their fees and that um, clients are given options, uh, cost-effective options to try and resolve their problems without uh, need of uh, lawyers and Thanks so much for joining us today, Kathleen. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Family law lawyers are our advocates. They are people we hire to act on our behalf to help us get what we need. Sometimes the best representation is a person who can tell us when we are being treated fairly in the process of separation. When people become embattled in a divorce proceedings, there are many losses on both sides loss of finances, productivity, emotional energy, and time. A lawyer who has your best interests at heart can help you assess whether a divorce battle is in your best interest. That's it for this edition of Family Law Matters. I'm Janine Crofton. Thank you for listening. Connect with us by emailing familylawmatters at info at resolveology.com. Ask us your questions about family law issues and look for our blog articles to address your pressing questions. Check out the other work we do at resolveology.com. You can follow us on Twitter at resolveology underscore YYC. Thanks to Meg Wilcox for her work on this podcast series. And thanks as well to Kathleen Wells for her thoughts on resolving your family law issues. Be sure to subscribe to the rest of the series where you can gain insight from other professionals who assist families going through separation and divorce in Alberta.